A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday in January in Michigan. Happy Saturday, Dan. Happy Saturday to you, Dan. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Dan Altina, president of Repcolite Paints. <laughs> you gotta say that every I, time. I do. I well, I, I got emails saying, "Who is this guy?" Right. So, so I want to make sure I I explain that. All right. Yeah, people know me. Yeah, they're well sick and tired of me. All right, well, they're working on getting uh, yeah, sick and tired of you. Hopefully, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll speed it along. <laughs> anyway, today we've got a lot of fun stuff that we're going to talk about. But before we get to all of that, I'm not going to tell. Normally, we'd go through the list of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're not going to do that this no, time. No, the whole point is to encourage people to listen. Okay, and, and to give them enough really good stuff to. Make them want to hang around to the end. Okay. I don't need to do that. Everybody who's listened knows it's good enough. Right. right? They're not going to leave in the middle. <laughs> no, they don't know what we're going to end up saying. It might right. be stupid. They want to be attention or be a, be a part of that. <laughs> anyway, the whole show, we, we've got good stuff planned. But I do want to, for the sake of this first topic, I and for the public good, the greater good, the okay, GG, for, okay. I want to own up to something that is really profoundly stupid that I did. Okay. I I. I, I didn't want to talk about this on the air because I'm not advocating for this. I'm not saying this is a good I'm saying it's a bad idea. I'm embarrassed to even say that I did this. But the other day, I think it was during Christmas break, we had a, a couple of times where we got the nice little fluffy white snow falling and, you know, we got, right. we got some nice snow. So I took the kids on this nature walk. You know, we had this area near the house or natural area and we trek through that. And it was so... Pretty. Absolutely beautiful. You know, we're taking all kinds of photos, having the time of our life. Well, we come to a part that I've passed many, many times. But with the snow and the ice, it took on an idyllic setting. You know, it was absolutely beautiful. It was a little creek running. And the crystal clear water, it looked like something from a a commercial for bottled water. Or you can see where I'm going. I was thirsty. (laughs) And (laughs) I thought... You know, uh-huh. it's running water. Right. What about just a little sip? I waited till the what kid, could that hurt? I waited till the kids passed, and because I didn't want them to laugh at me and think I was an idiot. And then I scoop down, and I or I stoop down, and I scoop up a, a little bit, and I suck it down, and mm, that was not what I expected. It was not this refreshing crystal. It wasn't good. I no, it wasn't great. It was kind of flat. <laughs> and oh well, oh. no big deal. Well, I take about. 10, 12, 20 steps, and my mouth starts tingling. <laughs> oh, thought, no. Is this psychosomatic? Right. Or what did I just suck down? Anyway, as I'm going, I couldn't, that weird taste in my mouth and this weird sensation. And then we come around the corner. I caught up with the kids, and they're all standing in an area pointing at, at this area, you know, down below us, off the path a little bit. I catch up to him and I look, and there's this source of where my water came from, and it's this mucky, gray, oh, like a cesspool, cesspool of, pond. Oh. And the kids are going, "Look at that! If you even touch that water, you'll probably die." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, that's the water I just drank. It looks so crystal clear down the way." Did you tell the kids? I, that, no, t- no. Oh. This is the first time they're hearing about it. <laughs> I survived, but it was Good. completely stupid i every time i walk past that now i think what's in there you know i don't know but safety 
that's what I wanted to get uh, to. Oh, that's the point here. That's the, the bigger point. Don't drink water on your nature walks <laughs> unless you, you know, want to instigate some kind of severe weight loss program, perhaps. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or whatever. A colon cleanse. Yeah. Unintentional yeah. colon cleanse. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm getting to be that age. <laughs> Maybe I should have doubled up multitask there. Anyway, no, I was fine. But don't, don't do that. But safety. We wanted to talk about that. On the show, we talk about all kinds of things from time to time and projects and tools that people use. Right. And because of the time frame and because we tend to blather sometimes about things like what I just talked about, we don't have time for the important stuff. <laughs> and so sometimes we don't say everything the way we want to right. say it. So we want to, for, again, the sake of the greater good, talk about a couple of things that we talked about last week and just kind of tack on some safety recommendations. Right. So we got an email from Eric. Mm-hmm. And he asked, or he had a, a comment about our welder segment. Yes. Um, he mentioned something really good that we need to put out there, which is we talked about welding a snowblower, mm-hmm. repairing a snowblower. What he mentioned is hey, there's a gas tank on that snowblower. And the way you ground... The good ones, at least, have that. <laughs> yeah. All of the ones that I've seen. Well, I suppose there's there's electric ones out there, too. But anyway. Yeah. Well, there you um, go. If there's a gas tank around, if there's something that can catch fire, um, you have to be a little careful when you're welding. And not just because of the sparks, but also because of how you ground the piece that you're welding. So that was his comment. That was very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that, getting that feedback from him. And yeah. So we just want to put that out there. Put hey, that out there. And basically... Just to reiterate, when we talked about welding, for example, being easy, we're not saying it's easy in the sense of there's no precautions necessary. It's an easy thing like folding paper or something. But even folding paper, there's danger. You can cut yourself. Right. We're saying that in the grand scheme of things, like driving. Driving Driving a car is a perfect example. But there is danger. Absolutely. We get used to it. We figure it out. But there's always danger involved. Yeah. Using a table saw. There's always danger. There's always precautions. We can't cover all of that. Unfortunately. Nobody would want to listen to that's it. That's it. That's it. It'd be so boring and it so, sounds so preachy. Right. We don't want to so do that. So when you jump into a project like this or, or a hobby like this with the welding, by all means, you've always got to start by talking to experts, talking to people, and really, really getting a firm understanding. And you know, ask a simple question. What do I need to do to be safe while I'm doing this? Exactly. Now, the other one that we wanted to quick hit was the using a paint sprayer. Yeah, we were talking about spraying a ceiling in a basement. Yeah, we kind of left out all the safety stuff entirely last week. Yeah. Last week was the no safety episode. (laughs) This week is the safety segment. Right. We'll get it out of the way and then we'll get back to not talking about it again. Yeah, exactly. So using a a paint sprayer and safety, we're we're using it in a very loose sense here. You know, safety or personal protection. Yeah. Things like that. Um, But when you're using a sprayer, the very first thing you need to understand and grasp is that you're dealing with a lot of overspray. Probably more than you imagine. Right. So that means that you've got to protect your space by masking it off, putting paper on the floor. We talked about that part of that. Yeah, like don't use plastic because it's slippery. That's not safe. That's not safe. But if you're using a sprayer outside, you know, that is something to consider is that overspray in the air can really, really travel. Because usually when you're using a paint sprayer outside, in most situations, it's late spring, summer, you know, and there can be humidity issues. There can be, because of the atmospheric conditions, the paint can dry slower. Right. It can be windy and it can drift farther. We have had issues and situations where contractors have painted vehicles 
neighboring vehicles. <laughs> yeah, multiple parking lots away. Right. And it wasn't the plan to paint the vehicle. No. They painting a fence. That's <laughs> the beauty of insurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want to use your insurance, that's how you do it. Right. You've got to be careful. So just keep that overspray in mind. And when it comes to masking off your room for that, for like that basement project that we talked about, one of the big issues is the doorway, because you're going to be leaving that room at some point, and you can actually take that mist with you, that overspray with you, and and bring it through the whole house, or at least parts of the house. So be aware of that. Right. Create a curtained uh, you know, doorway with, with your plastic, right. and that will at least minimize some of that overspray getting through. Right. And now along the lines of overspray, not just on the floor or on a neighboring area, it, your body... Yes. Um, and most importantly, from a safety standpoint, your eyes. Right. right. Use a face shield, use goggles, use something like that. Especially when you're doing a ceiling overhead, you're going to get overspray on your face and your eyes. So a hat, clothes that you don't like, because they're going to get overspray on clothing. Right. We have, they're called Tyvek suits. They're white yeah, suits. Disposable yeah, disposable Really, really, really kind of fun. Yep. Because you use them. For the spraying in the basement, right. but then you go outside and your neighbors think that there's a hazmat team there, right? Because that's what it looks like, and then they wonder about what in the world kind of disease is going on there. We always suspected. Yeah, we thought something was up with I them. I just want to know. But those Tyvek suits are available, and another thing you mentioned a hat, but we also sell these spray hoods. Spray hoods, really. Think of a. A, a little ski hood, or or w- when people rob banks, they wear those nice little. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could use these to rob a bank too. Although you are, we're I not advocating rec- that, right? Right, it's not safe. Don't send the emails. <laughs> Dan didn't mean rob the bank with these. No self-respecting burglar would wear one of those to rob a bank. It's like this little white chintzy it's, little fabric. It's knit thing, and it just has like an eye hole. You know, yeah. it's like a pull down. You can ski use mask. two eyes through that hole. It's not yeah. like it's, just, <laughs> it's an oval. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Inexpensive. And that will help, you know, protect your hair and stuff like that. Yeah. And what about respirators? And the last little bit that we've got, you know, we see these great big masks that painters will wear. Right. And in most situations, those are are charcoal filter filtered yeah. respirators. And those are used for solvent-based products. Right. It's smelly things that have solvent in them. Yeah. Then you need to use a charcoal filter respirator. Um, for most latex paint, it's not necessary. An N95 mask, KN95 mask is perfectly adequate for you know keeping overspray out of your out of your lungs out of your mouth exactly so there we go there are some things to think about some precautions to take there are more which we probably won't cover ever ever because they're so (laughs) yeah boring they're boring you know why talk about that no but the experts can help you with those experts will help so whether we're talking about welding or painting or whatever yeah. Um, the experts will let you know what you need to, to be safe, to protect your surroundings, to protect yourself. Yeah, you can use the chat function at repcolite.com. You can call us, email us. We'll help you figure out what you need for the project you're tackling, paint-related-wise. Yep. And, yeah, look somewhere else for the welding stuff. Yep. All right. They tell us we've got to stop talking so they can play commercials. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about how to deal with a closet that's overflowing. Okay. Way too much stuff. We've got a really cool system to help you minimize it quickly and easily. That's all coming up next. Stick around. Helping you turn your house into your dream home. 
This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Dan, I'm curious, how much clutter would you say you have at your house? <laughs> you amass well, a lot of clutter? <laughs> well, you've seen the stuff I've amassed around here. Which is why I asked. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a little bit curious. of a problem for me, <laughs> I guess I'd say. It is. It's a problem for a lot of us. And Betsy and I talked about it. I don't even know how long ago, a year ago or so, but there's this whole psychology of clutter. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't I want to get imagine. into all of that, but there are literal reasons why we do this. And organizational experts, psychologists will say that it's flaws in our thinking. And it's things like this. If you've ever told yourself, and in fact, I'm sure you have, I have, you look at something and you say, I might need that someday. Yep. That might become valuable someday or or i got it for a really great price i can't get rid of that it's got sentimental value it's got sentimental value i it might fit again later yeah right i'm gonna all lose those, some weight yeah all of those things are are literally considered flaws in our thinking oh i can see that yeah we're not gonna lose the weight in most right. situations it's not gonna fit again we're not gonna need it someday but we cling uh, to these false ideas yeah and we keep all our stuff and the problem you know if it was just that you know, it's no big deal. But the problem is clutter can make us feel bad about ourselves. It can frustrate us. It can frustrate our attempts to even organize our home or to live in our home. Be overwhelming. Yeah. You can't put your new baseball card collection away in the closet because it's full of... Your old baseball card uh, collection. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the, both things you probably don't need. Right. No, that's a wrong one because oh, mom, that's threw, not a good mom choice. threw away all my old baseball cards. Right. And you I, needed them someday. The value of those? <laughs> Man. I would not be doing this job. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about closets because a lot of us struggle with closets in a home. We've got small closets. Yeah, that's my Things house. like that. And, and we're trying to figure out how to get rid of stuff, how to organize in, you know, make that space a little more usable. And Betsy and I, we've talked about this before, you know, all these different methods to purge your closet, to purge your clothes. To get organized. To get organized. And I wouldn't go into it, except I just ran into a blog, the Lori Lou blog, and she had a system that I thought was really, really intriguing because it was counter to some of the systems that we've talked about in the past. And in fact, counter to a lot of the systems that you read about. Okay. For purging your clothes and getting that closet, not necessarily organized, but the clothes part of things. All right? All right. So very practical. This is something you can do in a day. So, hey, it's Saturday. One it's closet early. per day. It's I mean. early. Let's get started. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. So here's the deal. The first thing you need to do is to need you need to make your bed. And that's good anyway. Yeah. But you, you need the workspace. That's the whole point. So nothing new here. We're not breaking any new ground. Next thing is you dump all of your clothes onto it in a great big pile. All right. So you everything take, that was in that closet, everything in the closet comes out and goes on the bed. We're not, again, blazing new territory here. Pretty much that's what happens. Now, most other places, and what we've recommended in the past is that now you sort your clothes. All the jeans go on a pile, all the sweaters, all, all the, the sweatshirts, yeah. you know, all of that stuff, all the unitards that you wear, yeah. all of that goes the onesies. over here. The onesies, exactly. <laughs> Don't do that this time. Instead of sorting them, you actually jumble this entire mix mess. them up. Do the opposite of sorting them. Yes. So you kind of- Oh, I like this already. Do a big mix <laughs> on, on the bed and get them all mixed up. Now, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. I wondered why in the world this was so important to her. But she says it's because of this concept of inventory. We create an inventory as we sort things. And 
the minute she said that, it all clicked in my head and I understood exactly what she was talking about because I sorted my closet by categories a few months ago and I put all the jeans over here. And then I went through the sifting process, you know, where I, where I decide what I'm keeping, what I'm getting rid of. After you've... After they're sorted, now I sift through them, right? All right. What's we'll good? What's... That. Yeah, okay. And when I did that, I had a certain number of parameters on what I was going to keep. And as I did that, I kept two pair of jeans out of a pile of eight or nine. And because I had a pile of eight or nine, psychologically or whatever, mentally, I had this idea that two was not enough. Oh, right. So I needed to add back to that pile because I'd had so many to begin with. I wasn't doing enough. And yet the two met the parameters of keep. The other the ones that I added didn't. Something you weren't, didn't want. Or... And I ended up adding back things that I didn't really, oh. really want. So her point is, don't do that. You're not trying to put piles. You're just, I mean, sorted piles. You're looking at each thing individually each as you pull it out of the jumble. So that's the whole jumble thing. Now, as you go through the jumble, now you've got to do the actual sifting, you know, deciding what you're going to keep, get rid of. She had three piles. I'm suggesting four piles. There's a keep pile. There's a toss pile. That's for the ripped stuff, things that- It's got paint on yeah, it. It's that's just not good Most anymore. of my clothes. Right. There's the donate pile. Oh, yeah. You know, that's good clothes, but clothes you're not keeping. You know, that might as well go to a good cause. And then there's the maybe pile. All right? So the maybe you're not sure of. The way you sift it, this was another idea that I liked, is you simply ask yourself, do I feel good in this? Now, I know it's a little touchy-feely. I like that. I think that's really good. I know. I do, too. I've got a sweatshirt that's a nice sweatshirt. I look good in it, as good as I look in anything, but it clings so much, it makes me feel so bloated <laughs> that I never want to wear it. Yeah, you don't feel good in it. Even but though it, you might look good in it, even you just don't feel exactly. good in it. Exactly. So typically, I would keep that by the old sorting method. By this method, that one would go. So you do all of that. You sort them into the piles. And you get rid of the, you know, the donate's got to be donated. The toss has to be tossed. The keep stuff you put on the closet floor, don't sort it yet. Don't hang it up. Don't put it away because you're going to start the inventory process again. Then you take the maybe pile and now you do this this whole thing one more time. But you might have to try those on. Do I really not like this or do I... Do I feel good in it? Yes. That's the question you're asking yourself. Right. And So you really have to try stuff on. Yeah. You pare that down. Keep what you want to keep. Don't feel bad about it. Get rid of what you want to get rid of. And then when you've all done with that, then you go and you actually put, put the closet back together. So real quick overview. I love that method. Yeah, that sounds works. really unique. I think I like it, it works. So there you go. Check it out. It's a great day for it. Yeah. You know, it's winter in Michigan. I'm going to go do a closet right now. Exactly. Well, you got to wait to the rest of the show. Okay. Then you go and I, do your closet. As soon as that's done, I'm, I'm digging into a closet. All right. Excellent. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're talking closet history. Yes. Buckle up. It's going to be good. <laughs> that's all next. Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, welcome back, everybody. But that's really reaching, isn't it? 
Do you what? think everybody came back? <laughs> Let's just Do you think hope. everybody was here in the first place? Uh, no. We shouldn't have started until we knew everybody was here. <laughs> all right. Everybody pay attention. Yeah. We're, we're back. Get a list of who's all coming, and then we'll do roll call for the first two segments. You have to RSVP next week. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome back, whoever came back. Yeah, because I announced that we were going to talk about the history of closets. So they're back. <laughs> I'm sure they're back. <laughs> actually, this is it is actually really interesting. I will take your word for it. Yeah, I know. You, you don't know what I'm going to talk about. No, you're you're springing this one on me. I am, but I found uh, an article in a in a old house magazine. I think it's called Old House Journal, something like that. And it started talking about closets. And honestly, the focus was on how to deal with small closets because old houses typically yeah, notoriously teeny closets, teeny tiny closets. And that part was interesting. But what I found most interesting was the history of closets because they weren't around. They're actually quite a new, at least when we think of what we think of as a closet, it's a new invention to some extent, a new idea that's being used. So I thought, let's look into that just slightly, and I will do my best to make it understandable for the less informed. I'm looking at you, Dan. (laughs) Right. Anyway, in ancient times, in ancient times, here's the deal. People had all kinds of stuff to carry around. And that's, they started doing that with bundles and stuff, right? They've got a cloak and they'd wrap all their tools and their their armor and their whatever in these bundles and throw them on their back. Okay. Does that sound like fun? Yeah. It sounds like fun? Backpack. No, it doesn't it sound doesn't like fun. It doesn't sound like fun at all. Some right? people do that on purpose, but no. Right. So they ended up very quickly coming up with the idea of using chests, right? So A big box to yep, keep yep. stuff in. So the Romans were one of the first ones and they actually had these things called armoriums. Armor. Okay. Armor. Eums. Armoriums. Right. Does that sound like anything? Sounds yes. Like armoire. It does. And that actually is where the idea of an armoire came from. Place to put your armor? Yes. So we're going to take a, a quick overview of the history of armoires because this is all related. But from about the 12th century on, so it starts with these chests, armor, armoriums. Yeah. And in about the 12th century, we start to see armoires become items that are used in houses. They don't have little feet on them. They're just this massive a piece chest. of furniture. Yeah. Right, a chest with big doors and stuff like that. But they were used for tools, weapons, things like that. Valuables. Basically tools, weapons, okay. stuff like that. Not really clothes. These weren't used for clothes. Big and bulky, stood on the floor, no legs. In the 14th century, in England, the term ambry starts to come about, and it's from that same root, armorium, and basically this is starting to refer to a storeroom, a cupboard or a pantry, and now they're starting to put, you know, food items and things like that. It's still tools and all of those things. About 150 years later, France takes the word and makes it armoire. Oh, of course. Which I wish I could do that with a... A better accent. I sound more creepy <laughs> than I do French. But anyway, uh, the idea uh, comes about and, and we start to get armoires as, as we think of them. They become taller, lighter. They're placed on legs. Eventually, it's kind of kind of hazy as to where the shift takes place, but it goes from holding your tools and your, your swords. Maybe people didn't have that much armor. I don't have then. as much armor anymore, right. but I do have a lot of really nice foofy jeans. Floofy jeans. <laughs> yeah. You know, right? With all the frills. Bedazzled. Yeah, my bedazzled jeans. So I need to put those in my armoire. So anyway, that's where, you know, again, we've got uh, the first idea of a closet is that, but it's a freestanding piece of furniture. Freestanding piece of furniture. But closets themselves, that word, actually now, you know, we're switching now back to closets. And that word didn't refer to a place to store clothes. 
and only loosely was it a place for storage. This is the thing I thought was really interesting. In England, now we're going back to the Middle Ages, so back a couple okay. hundred years, having a bedroom was a privilege. Right. Children, having a bedroom was a privilege. Handsome children. I want you guys to understand <laughs> that. What you've got is a privilege. Right. And it's, there are responsibilities. Right. It's not a, a right, it's a privilege. Right. It, anyway, the, the, only the rich, the well-to-do had bedrooms. Everybody else slept on either the floor of the manor where they worked or lived, you know, the great right. manor, and, or they had a one, one room. Yeah, you lived, you cooked, you ate, did you slept all in one room. All of that. Well, anyway, uh, the people who did have bedrooms, the, the well-to-do, they used them not just for sleeping, but they were actually used for entertaining, for working, things like that. Multiple use. When okay. you've got fewer rooms in the house, they have to yeah, serve, serve multiple purposes. So there's not a lot of privacy in, in a situation like that. So closets were literally, literally created, and they were called closets, and they were really what we would think of as studies, parlors, you know, areas like that, where they were outfitted with furniture. It was a place for sitting, a place to study, a private place away from people. And the word closet still has this meaning of secrecy. Closed privacy. off. Right. Think about when you got two people all whispering we will call that that they're closeted together. Yeah, right. And this is where that comes from. And I thought that was really, really kind of fun and interesting. Or closed off. Yeah. So that's what closets originally were. Now, as houses grew bigger, the need for closets of this type disappeared. Okay. That's when we started to see these freestanding pieces of furniture start to take the place of closets. And they, they weren't used for clothes so much at that point yet in England and, and in America. It was more for liquor, you know, in a Oh, of course. you got to have a spot like for that. that. Yeah. All of those things. <laughs> so, you know, uh, china and glassware and, and things like that in a dining room. We'd have these hutches or these, yeah. these pieces. Anyway, Mount Vernon is actually a strange historical example of a literal closet. That is one of the earliest examples, George Washington's Mount Vernon, in the chintz room which that's a fun story to talk about anyway, what chintz is and yeah, how the word chintzy came about from that word. And it actually didn't originally mean what we think of as chintzy, but that's for another day. His house had a literal closet that had shelves for clothing, but that was very unusual. Okay. Most everybody else had these you know, furniture pieces. Anyway, time moves on. In about the 1840s in America, we started to develop the closet as we think of. A right. closed storage a room. A closed storage room. Coat hangers were developed in 1869. What? Yep, 1869. What did people do before then? They hung them on pigs. Or I mean pegs. <laughs> Not pigs. That would be really, really... Messy, probably. <laughs> Where's Wilbur? He's got my coat. <laughs> no, pegs. They hung them on pegs or maybe folded them. The coat hanger wasn't invented till the mid-1800s. 1869. Wow. Please let me be right on After that. After the Civil War. After the Civil War. Yeah. Wow. And then the hanging rod was developed shortly after that. Right. Well, like they the had the hanger. Year. Now, what are they yeah. going to hang it on? Exactly. <laughs> so that's when that started to come about. And by the 1930s or so, closets were expected standard equipment in a house okay. where we'd actually yeah. have a place to put our clothes. They were called reach-in closets. There was no concept of a walk-in walk -in. closet. That, was, that would right. be mind-blowing. The modern closet starts to arrive in the 50s after the economic boom from World War II. That, People that, have extra stuff now. Right. We, we've got more money. There's this economic boom. We've got a larger consumer culture, and people have more belongings, more more need to put them places. So closets expanded accordingly. And if you've got a house from the 50s, you've got what I've got, where you've got double door 
closets. It's, yeah. it's still not typically walk-in closets. That right. didn't happen But it's yet. bigger than the closets in my house. Right. So we've got a lot more stuff or room to put our stuff. Yeah. Okay. Then that's how things work. And then we hit the 80s. You know, the materialistic 80s, everybody, you know, more and more things we've got. You and know, then it goes Madonna's crazy. Madonna's singing the Material Girl song, and we're uh-huh. all listening, and we're buying all these things, and now we need literal walk-in closets. And that's where that eventually came from. Today, the closets are still big. You know, everybody, yeah. it's one of those things that people really, really, really want. Yeah. That big walk-in closet. Right, it's a With necessary. the wet bar. <laughs> or the dry bar. Maybe the wet bar. Right. I don't know. I don't have... I, I, I was reading one article where the realtor had run into... That, that was one of the things in this particular closet he... This house oh, he was selling. Oh, look at this. There's a wet bar. Yeah, they just bring people straight to the closet. Sold. Whatever they're asking, I'll <laughs> give it to them because this closet's amazing. But yeah, they really, really exploded in size and in, you know, basically in our minds what we think we need. You're right. Now, if you listen to the last segment... We're trying to help the people who don't have that great big space, and we're helping you purge your clothes so that you can fit it in the little closets that you have. But if you're unable to pull off what we talked about last time, I guess it's just a matter of looking or maybe get a builder and you can expand. <laughs> yeah, go shop for a new house or yeah. walk-in closet. Anyway, history of closets. I thought it was a little interesting. That is interesting. I thought it was worth digging into. Now, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the importance of time budgeting when you're working on a project okay. and some things to think about. That's all coming up next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. All right, Dan, let's talk about time budgeting on a paint project. Okay. It's a little nebulous. Right. It's kind of a little hazy for me. I'm trying to find a way to most clearly explain what we want to do here. And I think the best way I can do it is to just make an example of time budgeting on a project done poorly. Gone wrong. Gone wrong. And I don't have a specific, but I do have lots of times where I've talked to people in a paint store at Repcolite where they come in in the spring, you know, late spring, early summer, and they want their deck cleaned up, finished, and looking great. And so they want to know, what do I need to do? So you walk them through the process and we talk about cleaning it and how we're going to have to scrub it around, rinse it, you know, hit it with a power washer, all of these things, and then let it dry three to four drying days. And the minute you say, let it dry three to four drying days... You just see the color come out of their face. Exactly. And you don't know why. Well, <laughs> but now you got we, a good guess why, yeah, because now we've do been there. Because I've learned it's because <laughs> they've got a graduation open house or something. In like three days from yeah. now. Yeah. They didn't understand what the process was. They didn't budget the time accordingly because they didn't know. Right. And so so what you end up with is unhappiness. Uh, very much so. Frustration because now they were expected by their significant other <laughs> right. to have this space ready. And the whole family is going to be looking at your ugly yes. deck now. Yes. So we want to help people avoid that. And we've got this opportunity to just list out as many things as we can in the next nine minutes. <laughs> okay. So we're going to. And, and really the whole thing starts with planning. Right. And a lot of times we don't think of that as even part of a project, but yet it is. And there's huge things to consider. First off, do you have the right tools? Right. You know, before you go to the paint store and buy a bunch of stuff. What do I already have? What do I need? Before you go and fail to buy. Exactly. 
What do I have? What do I need? You want to get the right stuff. That's really simple, but that's just a matter of planning it out, thinking it through. Another big one is color. Yeah. You know, especially when it comes to a paint project, we see how many times people come in and they they get the color. They go to that big wall of colors, they pick one, and they don't have the context of what it might look like in their space next to their trim, you know, with their floor. Right. Um, I don't have, of course, we don't have statistics on this, but I would say the vast majority of the times, the, the, the few times when you get somebody who doesn't like a color, the vast majority are times where they just pick the color in that one day, they stopped sort of in for paint, it. grabbed a color off the wall. That'll be good. Check it at home. Yeah. Always take time and make sure you budget it in time to check that color out at home. Benjamin Moore has those sample pints. Right. Those are super handy for that. Super handy. And, you know, once you get the color that you want, you can just pour it into whatever paint you're using. Yeah. You know, as long as it's a latex. Right. You know, whatever product, whatever brand, it'll mix right through that little pint. You're not wasting it. No, you're not at all. So make sure you do that. One other thing before we move on from planning is just making sure you understand the scope of the project. And what we mean by that is that painting a living room wall, you know, is one thing. Staining and varnishing your trim is an entirely different different process process. and products and... And it dry involves times. different dry times. It involves different prep. It involves a lot of different things yeah. that you want to at least understand. You know, a deck, a, another, this is like I said, we'd cycle back to it. But doing a deck involves that cleaning process with that dry time, typically, for... Before it can accept a stain, it's right. got to, it can't be water in those and the fun, no, The fun thing, the, 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 the trick is that when we explain that there's a dry time, we always follow it up with good drying weather you know yeah, three days right. of good drying can't weather rain for the next three days and inevitably there's rain on one of those days <laughs> and that kicks it even further yeah understanding the scope of that project before you even start helps you start at the right time right so if you don't know what that is and most of us don't you know if, if we're doing right. projects that we don't typically deal with Right. It's all new to me. all new, and that's what we're here for. You can chat with us online. That works. Uh, Just ask your questions at repcolite.com. You can email Dan and I. That's that's really quick and easy, radio at repcolite.com. You can call the stores. Yeah. They'll gladly walk you through. You tell them what you're working on, they'll let you know some of the things you need to be aware of. They'll fill you in on the scope of things. Now, that's one part of it, planning. Another part of budgeting time in a project that, that really, it's important and it can fail very quickly, and in fact, often we skip this. It's the prep work. Yeah. Leaving time for the prep work. Cleaning, is, sanding, whatever that might be. Right. A lot of people are really stunned at how long the prep work really takes in a project. In fact, what? We'd say 90% of a, of a paint project is prep work. Yeah. It, it generally, from in my experience, it takes longer to do the prep work than it actually does to do the painting. Right. And if you don't understand that or you don't understand the tools and, and what you're working with, spackling, for example, you can fill all the nail holes with a, a lightweight spackling compound and it's supposed to dry really fast. Right. Drying really fast still means a couple hours. Yeah. It right. doesn't mean 15 minutes it's ready to go. Right. Trust me. I've tried hey, You've it. done that. I've tried you've been there. It. Yeah. It skins over yeah. and you think you're good. So you sand it no and then globs. it's gummy underneath mm. and it's a globby mess. Yeah. You've got to understand that. And the thing is, so often when we see failures in a, in a paint project, how many times? That's got to be close to ninety oh, or percent right. or more. Right. It's a failure of the prep of the work prep. part of things. Yeah. You know, think about it this way: prep work is foundational. If you've got kitchen cabinets that you're doing, 
And I remember talking to somebody at the home show last year. Remember home shows? I do vaguely yeah. recall we, what those were People would gather like. and yeah. we kind of talk about things. Anyway, uh, that person was in and she had tackled a kitchen cabinet repaint and had skipped the prep and had peeling, great big peeling spots, and wondered what can she put over top to, to make it all quick, stick like, down again. Yeah. There's nothing. Right. you got to take it all down. To now the, it's a huge project. Huge process. Don't skip the prep work. And the best way to not skip the prep work is to make sure you've budgeted your time to allow time right. for that, that prep right. work. Another thing to consider would be the tasks involved when you're painting right. or varnishing or whatever you're doing. You've got to understand the process and what you've got to do. Right. And so if you're not proficient, if you're not an expert at this, which most of us aren't, maybe not all of us aren't, um, it's going to take longer than it would to have a professional do it. Right. And so that that's fine. Just understand that part of the process of budgeting time is giving yourself time to learn how to do it. Right. And there's also the idea of, okay, I'm working. This happens a lot. It's It's very deceptive. I did it just a few months ago. A small room, we convince ourselves quite naturally that it's going to be fast. Yeah. A bigger room, take a little more time. I did an entryway that took me way longer. A little four by six entryway with a, a, a window, a couple of doors, took me way longer than a 13 by 16 living room. Yeah, all the cutting in. All the masking off right. that I did. A bathroom is another great example yeah, of that. all the little things you've got to work around, yeah. all the little complications you run into. A small space does not mean a small project. Right, so just make sure you keep that in mind, and that will help you make sure you start the project at the right point so you finish when you need to. Another thing to consider as you're you know, thinking those things through is are you working alone or do you have help? Right. And I guess secondarily... Is the help any good? Are you any good? Well, let's assume <laughs> I am. <laughs> is your help learning along with you? Yeah. Are you both learning how to do that? I, I remember I've told about it a, a bunch of times on the show, but I love this story so much as a, a customer came to the home show again and was talking about how he's not allowed to paint anymore. And I, you know, come on, you can do it. We can get you there. And he said, no, I'm helpless. I'm, I'm completely unhelpable in that regard. And then he told us the story how he'd been helping his wife paint the bathroom and ends up putting the tray on the floor and steps into it. So he steps into <laughs> his own paint tray, kicks paint all over the where all over the place. His wife kind of, "Oh my goodness, you can paint everywhere." So he sits down on the toilet to kind of wash his shoe off, take his shoe off. He sits in her paint tray on the <laughs> toilet, which is where she'd set that. Then she said, "You're done." <laughs> all right, you're banished. So if your help is like that, you got to plan an extra week. Yeah, and right. you're going to need a Budget shop bag. time for uh, the cleanup of your helper. All of those things. <laughs> Keep that in mind. One other thing is probably Products, you know, what are you using? Because as you go around a room, you know, if you're painting the walls in a living room, let's say, or a bathroom, the paint's going to have to dry a certain amount of time before you can hit it with a second coat. Right. And most of the time, we'd recommend a second coat. Oh, um, yeah, usually. Sometimes you have to put on a third coat. Depends on the color. Sometimes you don't know these things until you get into it, and so it is a little bit hard to budget for that. Um, but we can give you advice about that, too, based on what we're, you know, what our experience is with that kind of color. Right. One last thing before we wrap it all up is basically don't wrap it all up too quickly. Yeah. You said that you do that all this the time. This is my big problem. I will, when I'm done with the project, throw away the roller, clean out the brush, you know, before the paint is even dry on the wall. Then once the paint is dry, I see, oh, I missed a spot. And uh, you now, get it all out again, yeah, start over. Right, Frustrating. Right. Don't wrap up too quickly. All right. We will definitely help Repcolite Port City Paints. We work with this all the time. We'll gladly help you if you have any questions. Call us, email us, 
chat with us online, any of those ways. Find us at repcolite.com. Dan, that's it. It's all the time we've got. Oh, man. Whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. Repcolite and Port City Paints are open till 3, waiting to help. Stop by and see them. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Dan Altino. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.